Alicia Doyle is the author of A Fighting Chance. She's an award-winning journalist, and she has the unique distinction of being a former boxer and two-time Golden Gloves champion. I want to say Golden Globe champion, but it's Golden Gloves champion. Alicia, that's quite an eclectic resume. Welcome to the Cultural Scavenger. Oh, well, thank you very much for that introduction. Sure. You talk about it in your book, a fighting chance. And it's probably the first thing that anyone is going to ask you, including me. Why boxing? And how'd you get into it? <laughs> oh, and that's a, a great question. And that's uh, really what fighting chance is all about. I was working in the newsroom one night. I was alone working on a story and the phone rang. Um, I answered it. It was a community activist in town. Uh, wanting coverage for a boxing gym for at-risk youth called Kid Gloves. And at the time, I used to view the sport of boxing as the dark side. I did not understand the beauty of the sport or what it could do for people. And um, I reluctantly went on this assignment because of the at-risk youth. Um, The reason why she wanted coverage was because Kid Gloves was destroyed. Uh, This was in the 1990s, back when El Nino hit. So the rains flooded the gym and destroyed it. And these children had nowhere to go. And these are at-risk youth. These are kids whose parents, one or both, might have been incarcerated. Uh, These children might have been abused, neglected. They had all sorts of very deep problems. But there was something about the boxing that made them better people. So that's pulled at my heart a little bit. Um, When I went on this assignment, I met the owner in charge. His name is Robert Ortiz. He was just one of the most kind-hearted human beings I've ever met. And I thought, okay, there's something to this. So I ended up uh, reporting on that gym for about a year before they reopened on the other side of town. And during that process, I had the uh, incredible opportunity to chat with all those children and their parents and caregivers and really get to uh, dig in deeper about what the sport did for their children and how it made them better people. Um, That's how I discovered boxing, or how I should say boxing discovered me, but I had not competed yet or put on a pair of gloves, but it was that reporting that really piqued my interest to get involved, which came much later. So you were a journalist before you were a boxer, and I I read in your bio that for two years you were simultaneously a newspaper reporter while training and competing as a boxer. How'd you get into journalism? I've always loved to write ever since I was a kid, um, but I never considered working for a newspaper or being you know, a news journalist until I went to uh, Los Angeles Pierce College. It's a community college. Um, I wasn't really sure where I wanted to go in life, but I knew I did, needed to do something. And it was at uh, Pierce College where the editor-in-chief came in to talk to all of us uh, about the perks of joining the journalism class. And this was a student. Um, and he talked about the power of the press and how... Uh, the press had the power to change lives and to make make the world a better place and what a big responsibility it was. And uh, that was very attractive to me, this idea that I could put a positive change as a journalist. But that was my uh, initiation into news journalism, and it was an incredible time in my life. Um, I ended up becoming editor-in-chief one of those semesters. We had a huge staff, and uh, we really created a lot of change on campus. So that was the, the beginning. And from there... I ended up working at the Los Angeles Times, uh, the San Diego Union Tribune, the Los Angeles Daily News, uh, Ventura County Star. So from there, it really escalated. But during that whole time, I 
I took very seriously my responsibility to promote change and positive change in the world through the articles I wrote. Were you working freelance? No, I actually, I really lucked out. Um, I, I got my job at the Los Angeles Times. I was in my early 20s, and they needed stringers at the time. And for mm-hmm. listeners who don't know what stringers are, um, we take up all the assignments that all the hotshot reporters don't want. Um, but at the time, I was so young, and it was the Los Angeles Times, which was the biggest player in town. So, sure. of course, I took that job and, and uh, worked on weekends and evenings. And uh, those were some times for some really great assignments because nobody else was there. So, got some great bylines. And then from there, I went to the San Diego Union Tribune. I ended up on a six-month contract for a woman that was on maternity leave. But that, again, was another incredible experience. And from there, that's where I was hired on staff. Uh, for the Los Angeles Daily News. Local journalism, other than the Washington Post, the the New York Times, the L.A. Times, local journalism, smaller city newspapers like the Roanoke Times, where I live, you know, they're having a hard, a hard time. They're cutting staff. They're, you know, they, they just are not what they were. The business is contracting all across the country. Have you seen that as well? Um, I have noticed that um, what I loved about it, working for the LA Daily News and then the Ventura County Star was that's back when we had bureaus and we had a very strong presence as the community newspaper. Um, and people love the community news. People love reading about their neighbors and, and leaders in their own town that they know. Um, and those stories did quite well. Uh, we had a bureau in Simi Valley, California, which is where I worked. Um, and then the Los Angeles Times had a bureau there as well. So did the Ventura County Star. So back then we were all very heavy in uh, community news, local journalism. Um, that, that did change and evolve as time went by. There was uh, less local news. And I noticed um, we would get a lot of complaints from our readers because they loved reading about their neighbors and, you know, and being great things that their people that they knew were doing. But that changed. And uh, I, think, I think that's unfortunate because, um, you know, anybody can go and find national news anywhere pretty much nowadays. But it's those... Those you know, golden nuggets of stories of those wonderful people, you know, those are the those are the kinds of stories that really made my heart sing. And I know our readers love them as well. Sure. Now we're gonna bounce back to was there an epiphany there after you had seen these kids and suddenly you decided, Well, you know, I want to be a boxer. So take me through that. Yes, and um, that was an interesting um, serendipity, the way that all that came about, because, and, and this is all in my book, Fighting Chance, but, you know, in, in interviewing all those children and realizing, you know, they, they went through and were surviving some really intense traumas, and they were so young, and they're such beautiful human beings, these children, and and, and nobody in, in the journalism world or even in the boxing world knew my backstory. Um, and that's all in my book as well. Just, um, you know, incredible traumas that I survived. And, and, and a lot of people have those stories. But that was my backstory that nobody really knew. And, and because of that, I resonated to these kids who were also surviving trauma. Um, what got me into the gym that day to hit the bag, um, because the owner had, had long encouraged me to come in and take an aerobic boxing class, which is just hitting the heavy bag for an hour with your gloves on no contact boxing and he was always like you know you'll love the workout it's really really hard harder than anything you've ever done I never took him up on it but what got me into the gym that day to take that class was I went through a, a highly volatile breakup with a boyfriend um, who punched me in the face more than once and needless to say I was pretty um, angry about that um, yeah. I was filled with rage rage and shame I was embarrassed there, there were so many emotions surrounding that and so I 
showed up in the gym the very next day. And all I said was, I'm here to take your class. And I had been crying all night. And Robert had gotten to know me through the recording. So he could tell something was wrong, but he didn't push it. He just knew I needed him at that time. He gave me a pair of gloves and I hit that bag for an hour. And all I knew was that I felt better. For that one hour, all the demons in my head, all that anger, all that rage disappeared for that one hour. Uh, probably because the workout was so hard, I didn't have any room for anything else. But it became cathartic. It felt so good to not have that for an hour. The next thing I knew, I was taking that aerobic boxing class, two, three classes in a row, five, six days a week, um, because it made me feel good. It was my respite from my own pain. Um, but I still hadn't thought about competing. That happened later. I, um, I got to a point where the aerobic boxing wasn't enough. I wanted to learn more skills. So I watched the trainers. We had championship boxers, coaches from other gyms, you know, all in our boxing gym. So I just watched how the other trainer, how the other fighters trained, and I just started to mimic them. You know, I'd watch how they did something and listen to the coaches, and then I'd go off on the sidelines and do it on my own. So I was doing that for a while. And then one day, a gentleman named Stan Ward, um, a, a big coach in the boxing world, he approached me. He was there visiting from another gym, and he just noticed me being the only female there out of all the boys and hitting the bag as hard as I did. He approached me, introduced himself, and asked if I had ever considered competing. And um, I said that it had crossed my mind, but that nobody would take me seriously because I was a girl. And that's when he told me women's boxing was becoming huge at the time, and there were only a few hundred women in the United States who were doing it, and he thought that I would be great at it. So that's where it really started. It's a little different punching a bag versus punching an, another person, right? So, Very much so. so how you know how did it feel to get in a ring, not just punch a bag, but punch somebody else? Well, there's this joke. Well, it's not really a joke. It's reality. But, you know, you're hitting the heavy bag and the coach, you know, you have to pretend that bag's another person. But they would always say, you know, the bag doesn't hit back. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was building quite a bit of confidence because I was so good at all these other skills. But, no, I hadn't had yet to step in the ring with another human. And the real initiation was my my first uh, exhibition match. That was the first time I'd face anybody in the ring. And uh, my coach needed to determine whether or not I could move forward in the sport at all. And so that meant surviving in the ring against an opponent. Um, so that day, and this is, you know, all in my book because I remember that first exhibition match. Like it's, it was yesterday. Um, I was pitted against a girl from Washington State. Her name is Layla McCarter. She's a multiple world time champion. She's an incredible boxer. But when I found out my opponent was a championship kickboxer, I was filled with fear. I was terrified. Um, and she was a kid. Um, I need to point out that I didn't start boxing until I was 28 years old, which yeah. is considered late for athletics. And my um, all my opponents were younger than me. So I think Layla was 19, was almost a decade younger than I. And um, in that in that exhibition match, um, I got a standing eight count in the first round. And for listeners don't, who don't know what a standing eight count is, um, a standing eight is imposed when one boxer is in danger of being knocked out. The referee will stop the fight to make sure that that failing fighter can continue and go on. And in those eight seconds, I had to decide whether I had the strength to go on. And and I did. And I did finish the fight. Um, had it been a real match, I would have lost. But um, at, at the end of the fight, it was like uh, I was treated differently. You know, a lot of the boys and men who were up from my boxing gym, um, I earned their respect in that moment because I survived that battle. Uh, they didn't care that I got a standing aid. Um, you know, an exhibition is supposed to not be a real fight. This fight was real. Obviously, you took a little punishment. 
how did it feel afterward? I mean, how long did it take you to recover from getting beat up? Basically, I'm, I'm sure you 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 know you got your licks in too. But <laughs> what does it feel like after a match? Oh well, it's um, it's exhausting and exhilarating at the same time. It's um, the most incredible natural high that I had ever experienced, and probably will ever experience again. Um, and um, yeah, I was beat up. I had you know the black eye, a couple of bruises, but um, you know, and there was one point I thought she broke my nose because she she hit me so hard, and and I had to keep going. And um, but when I looked in the mirror afterwards, there was no blood, just the black and blue, and I felt incredibly exhilarated. But you know, the body takes quite a bit of punishment in the fight. It's, you know, you're getting hit in the face, but the whole body absorbs the punch, so the whole body gets really sore. So it would take me a few days um, to recover from that fight before I could go back into the gym and train again. But um, it was a remarkable feeling, very powerful feeling. How different are the rules for men versus women? What do you do in your chest? I mean, that's... Is it off limits or I, you tell me. <laughs> Those are great questions. Those are really great questions. Um, so, yeah, I don't remember, you know, the blow the belt rule applies to women as well. Um, as women, we wore these uh, protective chest coverings. And I always joke that I think a man invented them because they were the most uncomfortable things that we had to wear. But they're very hard plastic cups. Um, I did not get hit in the chest a lot. A lot of the girls I thought we were. Headhunters, we called each other headhunters, or you know, punching in the stomach or the liver or the kidney kind of thing, but never like in the chest per se. Right. Um, when I was competing, the women we we boxed two minute rounds, where you know the boys boxed three minute rounds. So mm-hmm. that was a difference. Um, I think you know nowadays the girls are fighting three minute rounds, so so that was different. But um, there's still a huge disparity in pay that the women make um, in the sport of boxing, even though the women's boxing is bigger than ever now. Um, you know, back when I was competing, women were not allowed to box in the Olympic Games. Um, that was not made possible until 2012, um, which wasn't that long ago. So I, I know um, the, the role I played and all the women, the incredible warriors, women that I competed against, you know, we all paved the way for women to box in the Olympics now. When you were boxing, and were you considered a professional? Were you getting any prize money? Um, I won the two Golden Gloves championship titles, and that was a major accomplishment. Um, there's no prize money for Golden Gloves because those are amateur fights. Um, I only I fought one pro fight, and that's in my book as well. That was named the Female Fight of the Year for California. Um, I think I got like 700 bucks for that fight, um, and that was a war. That was a war, but it was an incredible battle. Lisa Valencia, she's still in my life. Um, she was an amazing warrior, so... You know, we had that going for us. But, um, yeah, I lost that fight by a few points. But we got a standing ovation. In the end, the, the, the crowd didn't care who won or lost because we put on such an incredible show. It was really a remarkable fight. So your story was made into a movie by the same title, A Fighting Chance. Tell, tell is, me about that. It's, cur- it's currently in development for a feature film. I have a lot oh, okay. Of empowering entertainment, so that's in development. But she really resonated to you know this you know fighting chance, and and my book um it largely compares fighting as you know as a metaphor for life. You know we we start fighting from the minute we are born, and and the fight can be hard sometimes. But you know I believe the only way out is through, and the best way to face these battles is head on and and to go right through them with your eyes wide open and staying incredibly focused and awake and t- taking taking every blow 
you know, and, and using it uh, to, you know, empower us even more. So, you know, finding chance, of course, is about boxing, but it goes much deeper than that, and that it's a metaphor for life. And, you know, and it has been praised as um, an inspirational story that helps people, especially uh, during these tough times. How long was your career? Two years. Oh, that was it. Very huh? short. Yeah. Yeah, it was very short. In that short amount of time, I um, I reaped, um, you know, three titles, you know, the California Female Fight of the Year. Um, of course, my book, um, that was an incredibly a challenging accomplishment. It took me 20 years to write Fighting Chance because I wasn't ready when I retired from fighting in 2000. I wasn't ready to be vulnerable um, in my story. That took a lot of time. Uh, but once I was willing to be vulnerable and tell the truth in my past, that's when Fighting Chance uh, came to fruition. Do you get back just in, into the ring just to train or punch the bag? I, you know, what, what's your regimen these days? When COVID hit back in March, um, you know, my gym closed. Right. So uh, I still needed to exercise every day. So I just started walking around my neighborhood. So since COVID hit, my, my routine includes these five and a half mile walks, six days a week. I'm around my beautiful neighborhood. I live in Ventura, California. I am still a volunteer coach at Kid Gloves Boxing, so um, two nights a week I coach the children's class, um, mm-hmm. that's ages 4 to 12, and then I also coach the adult class, so um, I do get a pretty good workout just coaching those kids and those adults, holding the mitts, you know, that that's a pretty good workout, um, but I'm still involved on that level very much with Kid Gloves. Or shadow boxing, right? Oh, that's, yeah, shadow boxing is no joke. That's a fantastic uh, way to warm up. It's very hard. Uh, when I get the children in the ring to shadow box, they moan and groan. They talk about how much they hate it, but I know they love it because they do it. But I know how hard it is. You know, you shadow box for two, three minutes. Like, that's no joke. That's very hard. What's the the most unusual thing that ever happened to you or funny uh, in the ring? What's the weirdest thing? <laughs> oh, gosh. Weirdest thing. Um well, uh, there's a couple of things. Well, and these are in my book as well. Uh, there was one a tournament match where um, we had I had to fight three days in a row, and there's you know in the women's division, of course. Um, and my opponent on day two was a marine, and this girl was so tough, really tall, really long arm. She outreached me, um, but um, I was able to to score on her with my jab. And um, I had developed a nose breaking jab at that point. My coaches taught me to have a jab. That can break a nose. And for listeners out there that know boxing, um, typically the jab is to set somebody up or to score points, and, and a jab is not intended to break a nose. The hard right is something that's intended to break a nose. So for me to be able to bust a face with my left jab is was pretty remarkable. So anyway, with this Marine, I started uh, scoring on her nose right away, and, and her nose broke. And when the nose breaks, it, it just bleeds a lot. Yeah. And that girl was so tough. Um, she just wouldn't stop. They had to, they had, they actually had to stop the fight several times to put the blood on her face because every time I'd hit her, it would splatter all over the place. And at one point, her blood did in my mouth. That was a little concerning to me. Um, after the match, I talked to the doctor on site and I told him I was concerned that her blood was getting in my mouth. And he's like, he's like, I know what you're thinking. He said, don't worry. Everything's fine. You know, you both look physical. You're both in great shape. The chances of anything happening to you over, you know, are, are minimal. So that was kind of strange. Um, my, my pro match, uh, something remarkable that occurred, um, that was a four-round fight. It was a battle. It was a war. In round three, I thought I had my opponent. I thought I had her good. Um, I had broken her, her lip um, in an early round, which bleeds a lot, too. 
in round four, I don't, I still to this day don't know how she did it, but she pulled her heart out and was able to prevail in round four. And I still don't know how she did it. She figured out a way to score with a with hook. And I did, I could not duck under that thing. So she scored. And, um, but it, that's what, what, um, that's what earned us the California female fight of the year was the fact that it was such an epic battle. It was a remarkable fight. How has boxing made a difference in your life? I mean, that's a broad question, but, you know, in a nutshell, what has it meant to you? Uh, boxing taught me uh, what I could survive, you know, that I had the strength to survive a war, a battle, um, a war in the sense of the ring. Um, and everything I learned in boxing translated to every, everyday life, because I tell you, nothing in life was as hard as surviving a battle in the ring. Um, surviving a battle in the ring made everything seem easy, but you know, life is a battle. It can be a day, a day to day fight, especially with COVID. You know, since this pandemic hit, I feel a lot of us have been in a standing eight count since March. You know, this moment to moment, can yeah. I survive? This moment to moment, yes, I can survive. You know, this moment to moment, yes, we will get through this. Um, life is life can be hard. It can be a battle, but we've got to keep fighting because the only way out is through. And it's a give yourself a fighting chance, right? Yes. Your book, of A Fighting Chance, it's available on Amazon. And as my publisher for my book said, wherever books are sold, right? <laughs> yes, pretty much, yes. <laughs> Amazon and wherever books are sold. And my listeners can hear more about A Fighting Chance and Alicia Doyle by going to Amazon or their local bookstore and picking up a copy. Well, Alicia, it's been terrific having you on the program. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Andy. It's been an Well, that's the story. A special acknowledgement to Marianne Kennedy, Pat Bunch, and Pam Rose for allowing me to use their music from Safe in the Arms of Love, a song Allison loved. If you liked what you heard, please share my podcast with your friends And while you're at it, why not subscribe? And I'd sure appreciate a great rating in Apple Podcasts, too. I'm Andy Parker, and I'll be here next week with another episode of The Cultural Scavenger. Thanks for listening.